following message is by Pastor Peter Cho of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found online at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. If you've been with uh, our church uh, for any amount of time, you probably know that we have been uh, working our way uh, through a sermon series through the life of David uh, that Pastor Steve has largely been preaching on. And for the last couple of weeks, um, I've been preaching through some of the Psalms of David. And uh, as I've been sharing um, over the last couple of weeks, I'm I'm so grateful for um, the Psalms, particularly the Psalms of David, because, uh, you know, while First and Second Samuel gives us a record of David's life, the Psalms gives us an exploration of his heart. And as I've said, um, I believe God in his goodness has given this to us so that we might be uh, able to better understand what it means to pursue God's heart, just as David did. Um, So when God declares David to be a man after my own heart, he was not uh, putting him up on a pedestal. He was, I believe, presenting David to us as a model. And this has really challenged the way I see and even interact with God in recent months. And because as we read through the Psalms, what becomes surprisingly clear is that God is not looking for us to be pious or presentable or even polite with him. The Psalms are often anything but those things, right? Instead, the truth that emerges from Psalms is that what God desires is that we be completely honest. Honest with ourselves, honest before God honest about our emotions, even in all of its ugliness, because they are the clearest windows into what is happening inside of our heart and soul. And this is uncomfortable territory for many of us, including myself, but, you know, this is the journey of discovering uh, my own heart and the heart of God. And so uh, we're going to continue in that. Let's let's begin in prayer as we dig into uh, the Psalm 103 here. Lord, we just thank you again for this place of worship, um, for this building that you provided for the last three years, um, uh, for the people that are represented by this church, and for your word, which is a light unto our feet. Thank you for uh, your servant David, who in all of his brokenness um, has demonstrated a model of what a person looks like that is in pursuit of your heart. And that is our desire this morning. And if it is not our desire, though, we make it our prayer that you would make it our desire to pursue you, more of you, to know your heart, and that your heart would become our heart. And so we submit this time to you, and we ask that your spirit would fill this place as we look into your word this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um. You know, as, as I said, David, very interesting life. You know, he experienced very high highs emotionally and, and also some very low lows. And, you know, this often coincided with all the ups and downs of his own life story. I mean, this is a man who saw everything that the best of what life had to offer and, and, and the worst as well. And last week we looked into one of his lowest lows And I spoke on how we often experience anger and frustration with God when we feel that he has abandoned us in our pain and suffering, just as David did when he was hiding from King Saul. 
But this week I want to pivot and look at David when he's experiencing one of his highest highs. And Psalm 103, uh, the chapter we're looking at today, is one of King David's greatest hymns of praise. And I think just as it is often difficult to be honest with God about our negative emotions like anger, sadness, fear, if you're anything like me, it's also often difficult to express fully to God my most positive emotions. Um, You know, it's strange. When I think about some of my greatest, most expressive emotional um, outbursts, my deepest soul-filled worship, I'm ashamed to admit, it, it often isn't even at church or even about God. It often has to do with, like, my sports teams that I'm rooting for. Um, you know, we're entering into one of my favorite times of the year. This is, like, March Madness season, this NCAA basketball tournament. And I, I think I've mentioned this before, but, um, you know, I, I love watching University of Illinois basketball. Not so much these days. The program's really been struggling. But if you're, if you're a fan of Illini basketball, then 2005 was to us what... 1985 was, if you're a Bears fan, right? It was the greatest year, or greatest season ever in our history, and, and we ended up actually losing the nat, uh, to North Carolina in the championship game, but Sports Illustrated dubbed this team the greatest team uh, to have never won a championship. I don't know if that's actually a good thing, or it's kind of depressing, but I remember that season, I watched every single game that year, and when the tournament finally came in March, we, you know, we, were, we were doing well. We were just bulldozing through all the, turn, uh, the teams in our bracket, and uh, we got to the Elite Eight, and we were matched up against Arizona, coached by Lute Olsen, and this team was, uh, they were just on fire for almost the entire game. They were just, they were spanking us, and it was so tough to watch, and we were down by 15 points with three and a half minutes left, and somehow, I don't know how to explain it, it was just like an anointing from God. I've never seen anything like this, but... Everything just started going our way. Like every attempted steal, we would get the ball. We would run down the court, fast break, lay up, throw up a three-pointer. It would go in. It was just, it was crazy. And before you knew it, uh, we had tied the game with a three. And we sent the game into overtime. And we eventually ended up winning the game by one point. And when we won, I literally could not contain myself. I was watching the game at Champs uh, Sports Bar in Schaumburg. And uh, I was with a few church friends from a previous church. And when the final buzzer went off, I ran around the entire restaurant just screaming <laughs> in joy. I was literally hugging complete strangers. <laughs> I was just overflowing with love and joy. I wanted to share it with anyone and everyone around me. And, you know, later I was kind of you know, thinking about it. I was like, what, what happened to me? <laughs> like, that is so unlike me, you know? And yet... You know, it was kind of convicting because I realized, like, you know, at that time I was leading worship in my church as well, and I was with some church friends, and I was thinking, like, can we never get this excited about church when we're in worship? And yet all of us were, like, going crazy and just so, you know, full of uh, emotion and, and joy and just expressing it. Just, there was no way uh, to, uh, to, to express what we were feeling inside except to just let it all out. And yet, you know, we can do this, I think, for our sports teams when, you know, they get a victory or they come from behind or they win a championship. But how often do we have this feeling, you know, of emotion and, uh, and just love overflowing and joy, you know, when we come to this place and we worship? What does it mean to experience the fullness of joy that God promises? 
how do I get to a place where I'm not just going through the motions with God, but in a place where I'm genuinely engaged in wholehearted, soul-filled, spirit-inflamed worship to God, where I can say, I, I really feel like I love the Lord with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength as he's called me to. You know, how do we get there? And, you know, I, I believe Psalm 103 lays this out for us. You know, we often struggle to feel like worshiping God, but through the heart of David, God shows us the pathway into his own heart by calling us to engage all of who we are in response to all of who he is. Uh, you know, there's not universal agreement as to when David wrote this psalm, Psalm 103, but it's generally thought to be in his later years in life. And it seems to make sense, you know, we're going to read through it. But as you, as you read through this psalm, you kind of sense the wisdom and the gratitude of a man who has lived a full life. Um, instead of reading through the entire psalm, I'm going to try, try to take it by sections. It's a little bit of a longer psalm than last week. And so uh, just allow me to read the first six verses here in Psalm 103. In the ESV, it says this, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Now, David opens this psalm with, with this exclamation. He says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. You know, David seems to do this quite often throughout the psalms. He, he talks about his soul as if it is this separate entity, right? Almost like a friend, a friend that needs to be sought after and questioned understood and cherished and even directed and corrected at times. Just like here in this verse, he's saying, bless the Lord, O my soul. And he's imploring his soul to do something. He's calling his soul to bless God. And it's kind of strange, right? I mean, you read this. I mean, who here has conversations with your soul? <laughs> you know, it's like, hey, soul, how you doing today? <laughs> or why so downcast, O my soul? But these are the words of David. You know, David is not a schizophrenic. He's actually very emotionally intelligent, I think. He recognizes that his soul can often be in a different place from the rest of him. And his soul needs special attention from him. Because when we detach ourselves from our souls, we are in a broken state. And we cannot experience the shalom, the wholeness, and the peace that God desires to give us when our souls are disjointed from the rest of who we are. And I believe this is why the greatest commandment is summarized as love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. David knows this. He knows God wants all of him. And he wants to give God all of himself. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. I mean, the truth is, it's very possible for us to come here and to worship God and to sing his praises and even lift our hands 
and never really give him our heart and our soul. And in Isaiah 29:13, the Lord says this, the Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. But God wants more than that from us. And David recognizes that in order to worship and love God, I must engage far more than just my lips to him. I must give him all that is within me. I must engage my soul. What does it mean to bless the Lord, as David calls his soul to do? To bless the Lord, O my soul. Many scholars, I think, um, have struggled a little bit with this. I th- it sounds a bit weird, you know. It's, there's a, um, uh, a lot of different ways I think it's been explained. It's been often defined as a proclamation of God's greatness, to bless the Lord, a recognition of who he is, an expression of gratitude or delight in God. John Piper says this, to bless the Lord means to speak well of his greatness and goodness from the depths of your soul. So we cannot truly bless God without doing it from our souls, but can we actually bless God the way that God blesses us, right? It's, it's strange to think about it that way, right? Like, as God's creatures, blessing God the Creator. Because oftentimes when we think about blessing someone with something, there's a sense that we are, you know, we're, we're giving them something that they want or something that they need, something they don't have. And that's what we constantly pray for, right? Like, Bless me, Lord. Bless me with this. Bless me with that. And with that in mind, like, how could we possibly bless the one who has everything? Not just has everything, but who has created everything. But I think there is an element of, of truth to this, even when we talk about blessing the Lord. Because I, and I think the key to understanding this is to know that what God desires from most, most from us and what he does not have is us. God does not desire our works or our service, our money or our special talents as much as he wants us. And not just a part of me, but all of me. And in giving us a free will, he's given us the ability to receive him or reject him. And so can we bless God? I think in a sense we can bless God the way we understand blessing. When we give him what he does not have and what he greatly desires, and that is all of ourselves. And that is what David does here. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. And the second verse here unpacks for us how we are able to bless the Lord with our souls. David says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and what? Forget not all his benefits who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are, are oppressed. You know, this is such a simple statement. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. It's so simple, and yet it's so profound. And I think David is keying us in on something big here. He's telling us the way that we engage our souls in blessing the Lord is to not forget all of his benefits. This is not talking about, you you know, viewing God like he's an American Express card where membership has his privileges. 
right? Or looking at the Lord as like the ultimate benefits plan. It's not speaking about that. It's saying, I think David is saying, bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all his benefits. He's saying we should bless the Lord, but we only do so when we first remember how he has blessed us. Meaning our ability to bless God is tied directly to our ability to first recognize how God has blessed us. Because none of us naturally want to bless God. We all want to be blessed by God, right? But this is a very familiar pattern in Scripture, right? This order, all that God calls us to, whether it is to love or to forgive or to endure or persevere, is predicated on what he has first done for us and modeled to us. You know, 1 John 4.19 says, We love because he first loved us. And even here in the Psalms in the Old Testament, we see a picture of this gospel. God first, then our response. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. David is crying out, I need to bless God with all that I am because God has already blessed me with all that I have. And what are those blessings? David delineates it for us. He says, notice the first benefit or blessing from God listed by David, which launches him into worship is this. He says, who forgives all your iniquity. Who forgives all your iniquity. And you know, I, it's no accident, you know, why that comes first, I think. You know, all the benefits that could be listed, this is first because this is the root problem for all of us. From which all other problems flow, disease, darkness, death, are all a direct result of sin, of our iniquities, whether it's due to our sin or the effect of, of sin's curse in this world. And I think David, especially at this point in his life, he understood this well. You know, David knew what it was like to be broken by his own sin, but David also had a unique understanding of God's grace so he could pick himself up even after he had fallen in great sin. And this is one of the big reasons why God has us come together every every week, I believe, you know, because in six days you will fail, you will fall, And you will find yourself in need of God's grace again and again because of your sin and because of the other sins that people have afflicted you with. We have a sin problem. And God knows this, and he has called us to come together on a weekly basis in this place. And it's a time to sing truths that our sinful hearts are prone to forget to be refreshed, and to hear what is true, even if it conflicts with what we feel. And to remember, we are not walking this journey alone. And if we place our faith in Christ, we are all forgiven, and we need to remind ourselves of that regularly. We are called not to forget. Why? For the simple reason is because we often fail to remember. You know, and I don't think anything reminds us of this fact better than communion, which is something we practice you know, monthly when we come together as Christ called us to. And we use these very visual, very tangible, edible reminders. We're engaging every part of who we are, you know, sight, sound, smell, and touch, to remember that his body was broken 
that his blood was poured out for us because of our sins. And we are forgiven so we can come together and sing the praises of a redeemed people. And, and I know there are some of us out there who, you know, we, we don't show up to church sometimes because you get into a fight with your spouse the night before or the morning of or your kids act crazy and you just don't feel like worshiping God. And so you don't. And I understand how difficult it is to come and try to worship God when your heart is just not there. And sometimes the last thing I want to do is get up on stage and lead worship on some Sundays when I feel like I'm so undeserving of his grace. But that is exactly when we need to come. That is exactly when our soul has forgotten all of his benefits. That is exactly when we need those around us to remind us in song and in word and in community what my soul is so quick to forget. That we worship a God who forgives us of all of our iniquities. So what other benefits does God provide? It says this as well. Who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit. Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. You know, as I read these words, I recognize there's a dissonance. Here, you know, there's disease and and death is not yet completely eradicated in our world, is it? Not all of this has come to pass in the fullest sense, has it? You know, last week, um, message I shared about how a young girl named Ava passed away to cancer. Although so many people prayed for her healing and although her parents are, are very devout believers, and yet God did not heal her of her horrible disease. And how can we bless God in that? Because we're forgiven, you know. And David knew that we're set free from the penalty of sin. And because of that, we are set free from the power of death, which is sin's greatest curse. And a day is coming when all death, all disease will be dealt with completely and with finality. And we can look forward to this as a great benefit of knowing and loving God. And that is the great hope that all of us have in Christ. That even those like Mike and Esther and David and, and Bathsheba or any among of us among us who have lost a child that we have loved dearly can still bless the Lord because of the eternal hope that we have in him. You know, it's interesting because when you read these verses, they describe Jesus' ministry as it's recorded in the Gospels, I think, so well. Because we know Jesus didn't heal everyone in his day, but we know that he did forgive sins. He did heal diseases. He did raise people from the dead. And these were all signs that God was lifting the curse of sin. And he was placing it firmly on his own head. And this is why he wore the crown of thorns. And this is also why in verse 4 it says, He crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Imagine that. Jesus forsook his crown and his majesty in heaven to put on a crown of thorns. Symbolizing the curse, a crown of sin and judgment. Why? So that he might crown us with his love and mercy. Who is like our God? And the last benefit listed is this. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. And this seems um, a little strange 
too, because three verses earlier in the same psalm, David says that God does not treat us justly and that he forgives all our iniquities. And yet here it says he will work righteousness and justice. And it seems almost like a contradiction. Which is it? What is the distinction? Well, for those who are suffering from the sin of others, God does indeed promise justice. But for those who confess their own sins, God promises forgiveness and freedom because we are given the righteousness of God in Christ. And that is a great benefit. That is a great blessing. You know, I, I know there are many of us in this room that are really into politics and, and it affects us, even on an emotional level. And we have very strong opinions about you know, which party holds the right platform or which politicians have the best policies. And it can get so heated. You know, just go on Facebook and you just read it, just especially during election season. It gets so heated because I think all of us, deep in our hearts, we long for justice. And we want to see at least our version of justice carried out in this broken world. And I think it's good to be involved. You know, I think it's good to be aware, but we cannot put our hope in a candidate. We have to put our hope in Christ. And it's good to know that righteousness and justice are coming just as Isaiah prophesied. The government will be on his shoulders. And so we can walk in a broken world knowing that all that is wrong will one day be made right. And David knew what it was like to be afflicted by the sin of others unjustly, to face oppression day and night, probably more than any of us here. He could spend time in grief and anger toward the injustice that were perpetrated against him, but he also knew how to lay them at God's feet. And because of that, he was able to find God's strength to move forward, even in the injustices in his own life. And he could sing of it here. You know, verse 7, David now pivots. He's laid out all the benefits and the blessings of God from which we respond in blessing God back, calling our souls to bless the Lord. But now he explains not just what God has done and will do, but he explains why we can trust in his promise, why we can trust in God. And David reveals to us who God is and why he is worthy of our worship here. Because in the end, the greatest benefit is not found in what we gain. It is found in who we gain. That's why Paul says, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. In verse 7, David says this, He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. And David refers to Moses here because he is actually quoting God's words to Moses in Exodus chapter 34 where it says this, verses 5 through 7, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and righteousness, 
or steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Why does David refer back to Moses in this psalm? And, you know, it seems a little out of place. It's because David is leaning into the character of God as the reason why he's blessed. That God will make good on his promises, not because of who Moses is or David is, but because of who God is. He is merciful. He is gracious. And you know what's ironic is that when God proclaims uh, this description of himself to Moses, it's not at the first giving of the law. It's actually after the second. After the Israelites have already fallen, worshipped their golden calf, God declares himself as merciful and gracious, slow to anger. He wants his people to know, even in the midst of their own brokenness and sin, this is who I am. And David is using Scripture. You know, he doesn't have the Bible like we have it, but he did have the books of Moses. And he's using this Scripture to remind God's people of God's promises, which are secured by his steadfast love, not because of our faithfulness, because of his faithfulness. And this is, there's great power in this. And this is a great model for us, even today as God's people. And David directs us back to God's Word. And this was God's word to David. He didn't have, like I said, the fullness of Scripture, the full canon that we have. But he remembered what he had, and he used what he had. And God's word to Moses became God's word to David and is God's word for us today. There's a sense of community in reflecting upon these words and singing them as a body and remembering them. Uh, You know, I... um, I shared this, I think, a couple months ago when I was um, preaching on Psalm 63. Um, I don't know if you were there, but I mentioned, you know, I had a youth pastor when I was in high school who, who really um, just changed my life and just showed, um, just embodied through his, his own life and his love for us, um, the love of Christ and the truth of the gospel. And he was a really busy guy, and he would teach us, um, he would teach us songs um, that he wrote from the Psalms that he would just write on his guitar as a way of memorizing Scripture. And um, he, you know, he actually wrote a song in Psalm 103 talking about the Lord is compassionate, gracious, and slow to anger, abounding in love. He does not always accuse, nor does he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve, or repay us according to our iniquities. I still remember those words. This was like the NIV 84 version. Because we sang them. I could sing it for you right now, but I'm not going to. And I remember it because we sang them. 30 years ago, I still remember that. And that is the power of song and music is is these, these lyrics, these words of God actually have just resided in my heart for three decades now because of what my youth pastor taught me. He just took a song. It wasn't even a great melody. And he put it to Psalm 103. And even sometimes when I'm praying, I'm able to reflect on the character of God. That's a great verses. If you guys ever have the opportunity to just memorize a few verses, those are some great verses to memorize. 
And that's a gift of God. And I, I don't think it's an accident that the Psalms are not just honest prayers, but they are songs. They are poems and they are songs to God and for God's people. And God in his wisdom has put it to song so that we would remember. Because what? Because we forget. But as I said, there's a sense of community in reflecting upon these words and seeing them as a body and remembering. Because when we do this, we remember that God's faithfulness extends not just to me, but to generation upon generation for all God's people. And Hebrews 11 calls this a great, the great cloud of witnesses. Sandra McCracken, who is a Christian singer-songwriter, uh, she wrote an album on the Psalms coming out of um, a, a really difficult season of her life. She discovered that her husband had cheated on her. Um, infidelity in her own marriage. Um, she would end up divorcing him. And during this season of just real brokenness in her own life, um, she was interviewed about this new album, at least at the time it was new, on the Psalms. And she said this. She says, the Psalms teach me that I can be safe in his good providence, even when everything around and within me feels like chaos. When we hear these ancient words, we are reminded that we are not alone. We are not the first to feel what we feel. There is perspective and humility and honor in joining together with those who have gone before us. And we are also reminded that we will not be defined by our present circumstances, but by the mercy of God who has committed himself to the full restoration of all things. I just love the way that she puts that. That is the beauty of the Psalms. Is when we bring God's word into our worship of God, we bring God's people into it as well. Not just the ones sitting here, but God's people throughout all of redemptive history. These are ancient words. And there's power in that. And that blesses our soul so we can bless God with all our soul. And David goes on in verse 11, and I'm going to read to verse 19. It's a pretty large uh, section here. But I, I want you to do your best to follow along and and this is my favorite part in the whole chapter because this is where David breaks from Moses, quoting Moses, and he speaks from his own heart about the character and the nature of God. And he says this, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for a man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place is no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. 
There's a lot here, but I, I don't want you to miss this. Because David, as I said, takes the words first that were given to Moses in Exodus about the nature of God, that God himself proclaims to Moses and to God's people at that time. And then from the experiences of his own life, from the gladness of his own soul, and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, David expands upon his own understanding of God by speaking of the vastness of God's steadfast love. He says, as high as the heavens, as high as the heavens are above the earth, by singing about the infinite lengths of his forgiveness, as far as the east is from the west, by praising the nature of his compassion like a father, like a father shows to his children, by speaking about the integrity of his faithfulness, he says it's from everlasting to everlasting, and the expanse of his sovereignty as one who sits in heaven and whose kingdom rules over all. These are not just empty accolades. This this is poetry at its absolute finest because it is coming from a man who has experienced God in all of these ways in his own life and who's now singing about it from the depths of his own soul. The vastness of God's steadfast love and the depths of his forgiveness. David knew this very well. How many of us have killed a man because we impregnated his wife? I mean, that sounds really crass. (laughs) That is exactly what David did. It's right there in the Bible. And if our understanding of the greatness of God's love and forgiveness is limited by the greatness of our own sin, then David understood God's love and forgiveness like few of us can. David's ability to see God's compassion as a loving father is meaningful because he knew what it was like to have a son betray him in Absalom. And yet still he grieved that great loss. He wept inconsolably when one of David's men kills Absalom. Who could love such a rebellious child? A child who actually seeks to kill you. David could. And David knew that God could love rebellious children too. Even more. God loved David, and David knows that God loves all of us, all of his rebellious children. David understood, and he treasured the faithfulness of God in light of his unfaithfulness, and David could glory in the sovereignty of God over the universe. And think about that. This was, David was Israel's greatest and most beloved king. And yet, unlike Saul, he did not allow the glory of his kingdom to outshine the glory of God's. You see, David was able to bless the Lord from the depths of his soul because he was able to take these truths about God that he learned, he probably at a young age, as a shepherd boy, about Moses and these past generations, centuries before he wasn't even alive, and it all came alive to him as he reflected upon these truths and upon the truth that it was even to him and to his own life, to his own story. And it overwhelms him, and it compels him to worship God with all that he is, all that he is, all that he has. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless his holy name. You know, if you've never um, done this exercise before, I would encourage you to just take an hour, um, sometime when you just can be quiet and by yourself, and just um, 
take a pen and paper and just map out a timeline of your own faith journey, of your whole life. Um, I don't know if any of you have done this. Um, I've done it a couple times, and I feel like every time I just come away um, just overwhelmed by the goodness of God and his love and sovereignty over me because what you find, and I don't know if this will be true of you, but for me at least, uh, there's a lot of ups and downs as I map out the highs and lows on a timeline spiritually in my own life. Uh, a time when I didn't know God to when I came saved to when I fell away to when I was really depressed and to finding the grace of God again in my life to seeing his provision to again doubting his goodness, his presence. And I think when you begin to map out your own faith journey, you you see that life is full of ups and downs, isn't it? And our emotions are full of highs and lows, just like David's was. And yet, like as I said, God is faithful through it all. God has always been there. His steadfast love and his mercy And you begin to see that you have a story too, just like David had a story. And in light of God's greater story, you see he is writing your story. He is writing his story within your story. And that's what we learn from David, that through his own life and through his own broken story, he could not only affirm the character of God in God's words, he would affirm the character of God in his own words. And those words are memorialized here for us in Psalm 103. Probably the greatest hymn of praise ever written. And David closes with these last words. Verse 20, very similar, but also very different from the opening lines. He says this, Bless the Lord, O you his angels. You mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word, bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. David can no longer contain himself in realizing the greatness of God for all of his people. And for all time, David cannot help but call for the worship Of all the universe, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And David desires nothing more than to see the glory of God that has been revealed to him now be revealed to all of creation, all of the angels, all the heavenly hosts, all the universe. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And when you become overwhelmed by the love of God, when you see him for who he truly is, what other response can you give? What else can you feel? What other desire can you have than to just bless the Lord, to give him all of yourself, to ascribe his greatness, to him his greatness? Bless the Lord, O my soul. Let's pray together. You know, there's not a single request that David makes of God in this entire psalm. This is nothing more than just pure worship. 
coming from a heart overflowing with gratitude. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul. All that is within me, everything that I am, heart, mind, soul, and strength. Bless the Lord. And it's hard to say those words, bless the Lord, when all we can think is, bless me, Lord. Bless me, Lord. That is often the prayer and the desire of our hearts is not to desire God's blessings more than God himself. Bless me, Lord. And yet through the heart of David, we are given a window into God, the heart of God himself. And it is overwhelming. Do you have a sense of the condition of your soul right now? Or are you so far detached from your own soul that it is unrecognizable to you? Can you speak truth into your own soul as a friend who needs to be encouraged, who needs to be corrected, directed, affirmed? Some of us may look fine in our minds and in our body, but our soul is really struggling. We are broken up inside. And God is calling us to tend to our soul, to hear the inner cry. To call it to where it can find healing wholeness some of us are very sensitive to where our soul is and we know right now our soul is not in a good place and we need to be reminded of the blessings and the benefits of God then you've come to the right place this is the place where we remember and we remind ourselves and one another what he has done, what he will do because of who he is. And some of us need to just be, have our eyes open to the loving hand of God in your life to take the time to really, in the quietness of our hearts, see and understand that just like David, God is writing his story and my story through all the ups and downs of life, through all the turmoil of my own emotions, he is writing my story. And maybe a story and a testimony of God's character and God's greatness, of God's good works. May it be a story that calls to all those around you to praise him. Let's take a minute, let's take a few minutes to just reflect upon however the Lord and the Spirit is speaking to you today. Bring our souls before the Lord. Let's call our souls to bless the Lord. Let's not ask the Lord to bless me, but let us bless the Lord. Let us give him our whole hearts, all of ourselves, all that is within me. And in a moment, the worship team will lead us in songs of response.